Today's episode is sponsored by Peacekeeper Games, creators of the critically acclaimed Euro-style board game Rurik, Dawn of Kiev. In Rurik, you play as a royal successor attempting to overcome your siblings and rule 11th century Kievan Russia. Rurik features area majority, resource management, and an innovative auction programming mechanic. The first expansion to Rurik, Stone and Blade, is now live on Kickstarter and knocking out stretch goals. So will you seize your destiny or fade into obscurity? Check out Stone and Blade on Kickstarter today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're getting simple. Today, we're talking about what it looks like to simplify a game, to streamline it all the way down to its best parts, its just core essence, simplification. And we're talking to Stephanie Kwok from First Fish Games. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited for you to be here. Really pumped about this topic. This is something I love just chatting with people online about. Is like, okay, what does it look like to cut and just cut, 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 cut all the way down and just keep getting rid of stuff, basically, until you have the best part of your game? And what, what does that version of your game look like? And that's one of the conversations I have a lot with, with newer designers. You know, I, I feel like as a new designer, personally, I, I just wanted to throw every single idea I ever had into a game. There were no bad ideas. Let's throw them all in the box. and It'll be fun. And that's uh, maybe not the best way to design games. And so I'm really excited just to talk to you about what it looks like as a designer and as a publisher as far as development and simplifying a game down. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design, game publishing, all that kind of thing? I started out as a video gamer, actually, um, back when I was young, and I slowly transitioned into board games. Um, And when I met my partner, uh, he already had a really big collection of board games. And uh, he mentioned that him and his friend wanted to start designing their own games. Um, And so I got interested in that as well so us three of us uh started up our own company we we threw ideas at each other and um it it kind of just started like that um nothing too fancy we uh obviously didn't really know what we were doing um but it kind of just started (laughs) um i think that's something that people just need to do is start (laughs) Gotcha. And so the first game y'all put out was Get Off My Land. Is that a game that y'all were designing and then thought, hey, let's let's publish this? Or how did that kind of come to happen? Yeah, we um, we took certain parts of games we really liked. Um, and one of the the biggest ones was um, the roads in Catan. And then you know how you always fight for the longest road. And we really liked that idea. Um, so the, the fences in Get Off My Land was kind of taken from that. And um, we wanted the the feeling that you're you're cutting each other off so like oh what theme could we put to that like farming like you're fighting for land or like we just threw a bunch of ideas at each other and um yeah i think farming was the one that landed um for some reason (laughs) um not that any of us are particularly uh connected to farming but it just seemed to work with the fences and the way we wanted the fences to work 
Very cool. And so then you had this game and then you thought, let's just publish it ourselves. Or, or did you think about going other avenues or anything? We we always knew we wanted to publish ourselves um, because we're all a bunch of control freaks. <laughs> so so we didn't want to give the power to anyone else. Um, so we, we were sure of that from the beginning. And so we started up our own company, um, just the three of us, um, myself, uh, my partner and his best friend. And um, yeah, it's just something we knew. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, let's get into the topic. Let's talk about simplification. What does it look like to simplify a game? So if you were going to put like a, a good working definition to what that even means, like, what, what do you think about, especially as a designer and a publisher, what does it mean to simplify a game down? I think um, it means that there should be no excess baggage. Like like, like you don't want to have to do something um, that's totally not related. Um, trying to cut it down so everything is very streamlined, um, everything makes sense, um, especially for us, uh, theme is a really big thing, so we want our games to really make sense thematically. Um, like, like for Get Off My Land, it, everything you see in that game makes sense. It, it's very theme-heavy. Um, one thing connects to the other, even the, even the turn tracker looks like a, a, a saw. It doesn't need to, but it does, <laughs> just because we, we wanted everything to look and feel very thematic. Um, so being able to to cut down on things that, that just don't mesh well together, um, anything that feels too jerky or anything like that uh, needs to be cut out. Um, you just don't want anything to feel um, like it's unnecessary. Yeah, definitely. I think it's at its core, it's all about finding the fun and then just poking that bear over and over and over again. Whatever the most fun part is, see if you can cut out the other stuff exactly. and just really focus on on that part or those various mechanisms, whatever the you know most fun part of your game is. I think another thing is, like you're saying with theme, is to help players to not ever be taken out of the experience and, and make them ask why. It's like, well, wait, why, why, why is that? This is a farming game. Why is, why is it that way? That doesn't make sense. If this was a real farm, it would be like that. And okay. all of a sudden, now they're thinking about playing a game versus just being in the experience and enjoying it and not thinking through that. And so tell me about that. What, what are some things that you've noticed or, or, or you've kind of uh, shot away from or, or tried to avoid uh, as a designer and a publisher as far as the theme and, and people asking why? Because I feel like that's, let's, let's go a little deeper into that because I feel like that's something people really need to be thinking about, especially if they make thematic games is avoiding the why questions that kind of pull you out of it. But what else? What else should they be thinking about as far as designers, making sure the theme really comes through and, and is as honed in as possible? I think that, that that's a hard question because uh, I think designers would think uh, a little differently than what publishers would think. Um, normally, a, a designer might design a game um very basic like without a theme or anything because they know they're going to pitch it to a publisher that will probably just change whatever they had um if they had put a theme to it like if if i designed a game that was pirate themed and then i i pitched it to a publisher and they're like no we don't like pirates then you've you know you've invested so much time and effort into making it mesh well with the pirate theme and they're just going to change it so it's really hard for designers to to really go theme heavy unless 
they are already working with a publisher that chose the theme. Okay, gotcha. And then from a publishing standpoint, what do you what are you thinking about as far as the things that you're looking for, especially for you know when when you're going out looking to sign a game, what are the things you're looking at as far as how uh, streamlined and simplified the game already is? That's hard for me as well because we're so new. We we got lucky with the first game we signed that wasn't our design um, because it was it was very well developed already. It had a theme. We were we were good with the theme. We didn't need to change it or anything like that. So it's not something I've experienced yet, like having to think about changing someone's design or theme to to better market it. Um, <laughs> And, and even though I am working with other designers right now that, that have signed with us, like they know the theme we want. So they're, they're making the game specifically for us. Um, so as a publisher, I, I don't know yet because <laughs> I haven't experienced having to think about changing anyone's theme. Gotcha. Now let's, let's travel down that road a little bit more though. So are these designers that reached out to you with kind of a generic game or were these people that you reached out to and said, Hey, I want you to design a game. Like, tell me about how that works as far as you working with those, those designers. It, it was a little bit of both. Um, we, we definitely knew we wanted to work with these designers and they wanted to work with us as well. Um, and they had pitched us a bunch of games and we were interested in one specifically. Um, but it, it, because, um, in the future, we're, we're planning to, to create this world that can fit many, many games in it. And they knew that. So um, they were open to, you know, adjusting that specific game to mesh well with our world. So we did technically choose a specific game design that they already had. It's just it, it's going to change quite a bit to to fit into our world. Very cool. All right, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Why is it important for a designer to think about simplification and to really be uh, focused on cutting away the excess parts of a game? Why does why does it matter? Um, I think, like you said at the beginning, um, as a new designer or even you know veteran designers, um, you have so many ideas you want to throw into the pot, and and at the beginning you do, and you just want all your favorite mechanisms and and whatnot and you kind of just throw everything together and then see what works and what doesn't work and um eventually you're you're gonna have to take out certain things that just don't work um like there's there's one mechanism that i really want really want to try to get into a game but i haven't been successful at making this mechanism work well with other things so so even though it's my favorite mechanism, I, I haven't been able to design a game with it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think another thing that new designers run into, especially designers that are thinking about a very specific theme, is that the theme is typically much bigger than the game needs to be. You know, early on, I was designing a lot of uh, sports games, especially football games. And anytime you're designing a sports game, there are so many rules in real life that are not fun in a board game. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking about penalties or fouls or something like that, that's not particularly fun to have in a game where you're talking about all the little nuances to the way the game works on it. And so I think as a, a newer designer, it's real easy just to go, OK, let's let's throw everything about the theme in there and then uh, and then th- that'll make the game better. And so, well, not necessarily. It, it might be thematic, but that doesn't mean it's it's fun. And so 
do you have a process as a designer of kind of whittling away or, or trimming away the different parts of the game to get to get rid of that excess stuff? Like, tell me about your personal process. I mean, for Ducks and Toe specifically, it it was a very um, obvious decision to try and simplify the game um, because of the lighthearted theme. Um, the difficulty of the game was too high, and it just wouldn't mesh well with the theme at all. Okay, tell you what, tell me. Tell me about the game. I give give listeners like an overview of the game real quick, and then we can like dive into the the way it was honed in. Yeah. So, um, Ducks and Toe is a, a strategic puzzle game where you're um, you're supposed to feel like you're in a park. You're leading the ducks around, taking them to their favorite spots in the park, and then the cards you complete um, also make a puzzle of ducks. Um, you're trying to you know connect all the ducks in a row, and any ducks that are in a row get you points. Um, so, so thematically it, it's, it feels very lighthearted. So any, any mechanisms that were too heavy, um, just didn't work. <laughs> gotcha. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, how do you determine as a designer, okay, this mechanism is too heavy for the theme. Like, how do you, is it just a gut feeling or what does that look like? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I think, um, when I was playtesting, um, Ducks and Toe, a lot of people were were thinking the same thing like this this is too complicated of a game it's it's you know it's not going to do very well because it it looks visually it looks like it's geared toward you know kids um whereas i as a the designer i knew specifically that i wasn't targeting kids um it was more for you know beginner gamers um a game like kind of like a gateway game but with enough depth that you know veteran players are not going to be too bored with it um so i knew from the beginning that i wasn't targeting um the younger audience all right so tell me about the way it was honed in like tell me about maybe some things that were in the game early on in the design but then you you cut or got rid of tell me about that uh, the the funny thing is, um, Ducks and Toe actually started as a dexterity game. Uh, <laughs> we it it was from as if you were playing from the ducks' perspective. Um, you, but it was weird because you were the person throwing the the pieces onto the board as if you were you know feeding ducks, but you were also playing the duck. So I couldn't bring myself to like that. Like you were both the person feeding the duck and also playing as the duck. And I just couldn't get that to work. And I really didn't like how that was feeling. So I ended up changing it um, completely so that you were playing from the perspective of the person feeding the ducks. Like I just completely took out the the part where you're the duck walking around eating the food. It became like, oh, you're the person in the park feeding the ducks. Um, so that, that was a really really big change uh, for anyone who play tested the de- dexterity version it's basically a completely different game now <laughs> very cool all right so in that early version of the now new way to play tell me about maybe some of the things that were in there that just didn't work or that you had to simplify or maybe a mechanism that was a little too complicated or something like that i think actually the design process went very smoothly from the point where we transitioned from the dexterity game to what it is now um as soon as it basically 
ceased being a dexterity game, we already had the, the core mechanics decided on and they were working very well. Um, from then it was just, you know, making sure everything else worked with it. Um, like the, the main part that we got uh, first was the part that, you know, you're the meeple and you have ducks following you. So every time you feed a duck, they're going to follow you. So I had to visually make it um, look like the ducks were following you. Um, and so that was something we were working with um, from the very beginning. And we knew we wanted to keep that because that was the, the cutest part and the part that would make people, you know, be interested in it in the first place. Because it's, it's visually appealing. It, it totally feels like you're a person. Then the ducks are following you. And that's kind of what we wanted people to feel. Yeah. So either in Ducks in Tow or Get Off My Land, were there any parts of the earlier design process or earlier game that just weren't fun? Like any little maybe edge mechanisms or kind of things were on the fringe, anything that you're like, wow, this, I thought it was going to be cool. Uh, this isn't fun. Let's just cut it out. And it, and it made the game better. Can't quite remember exactly. I, like I said, the Ducks in Tow process went so quickly and smoothly that, that it was probably an anomaly like it probably will never be that that easy uh, ever again <laughs> but probably because we were working with a light theme that made it easy as well um for get off my land the original design was uh very long and uh, people we play tested with uh, it was always the same feedback that it was too long and it felt too repetitive um like the the first part of the game go so well and then near the end you just feel like you're doing you know the same thing over and over again um, not much excitement so the the hardest thing for get off my land was reducing the play time um i think i think the original version was like you know two hours for a four-player game but you know it's a it's supposed to be a, a funny you know light-hearted farming game where you're fighting with your neighbors like it shouldn't take two hours. <laughs> so we uh, we really chopped that down, um, bringing it down to under an hour. Um, and so then the, the the feeling people get is much more condensed and, and more exciting for throughout the whole duration rather than, you know, only being at the beginning and then kind of petering out. Okay. Now, what did it look like to cut a game in half, basically? I mean, if you're going from two hours down to an hour, that's a ton of gameplay potentially to get rid of. So tell me about the things you, you cut out or maybe you just simplified or you shortened instead of doing five rounds, you did three. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it was just, it was the same stuff just repeated. So it wasn't too hard to cut it down. Um, we basically just had to remove some of the same parts. Um, so like, you know, the marketplace list, the cards you're buying, um, you know, just reduce it in half. So, and then the, you know, the turn track, there's 12 rounds instead of, you know, 18 or whatever. Um, but reducing those didn't really affect the gameplay, which is probably why it was so easy. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Something I've run into in my own designing is basically paying attention to how a game begins anytime I do playtesting and really watching to see if it's different or is it or does it always play out the same in the first few rounds? So for instance, I created a space game as a dexterity game uh, a while back. And what I noticed after several play tests is that basically the first two rounds of the game, everybody did the exact same thing every single time when we played. 
And because they didn't have enough resources to go out and do a lot of different things, pretty much every every game, the first two rounds, people would just gather resources and then they would start doing other things. They would you know, research technology or go try to conquer other planets, whatever it was. And so I thought, well, I mean, the first 10, 10 minutes of the game is the same every single time. So what does it look like to cut out that 10 minutes and start the game on round three? And so, okay, let's go ahead and give everybody resources. What, what are resources that people are normally gathering in those first couple rounds? Okay, let's just give them that. And then let's start round one as if it's round three. And, and that made the game so much quicker. It simplified things and it gave players a lot more options and choices right there from the beginning. And it made the game so much better. Have you noticed anything like that either on the front end or the back end for any of your game designs, even stuff that, that's not published, just anything you've worked on. You're like, okay, here's a really interesting way that I can cut 10 minutes off the game here, or I can speed the game up at the beginning or speed the game up at the end, anything like that. Yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I feel like we we had the same problem, <laughs> uh, both with uh, Get Off My Land and, you know, our current uh, design and process. Um, we just feel like, you know, you're always doing the same thing for the first turn or two and and you don't have much choice. And something we always think about is uh, player choice. So when a player isn't given any options, that's no fun. Um, so we try to, like you said, um, basically combine and, you know, give people starting resources or whatnot, um, to make it seem like you're starting on turn three rather than everyone doing the same thing and wasting 10 minutes, you know, doing the same thing. Um, so I totally get how you feel because <laughs> we, we totally went through the same thing, um, with Get Off My Land, like we made sure that, you know, when you start the game, you, you, you basically can do every action possible, except for maybe one, um, instead of, you know, only having one option at the beginning. Um, same thing with our current design is, again, you know, starting people off with resources, um, giving people more options on their first turn, rather than, you know, limiting them to only being able to do one or two things. Now they have, you know, maybe five or six options so that it, it really affects what people's decisions are at the very, very beginning of the game rather than everyone's doing the same thing. Definitely. But now let's look at it from the other end. Now, I've talked to several designers. I interviewed Al LaDuke recently, and he talked about how he tries to give players just two or three options on a turn. And so he's really doing his best with his designs to like simplify not only the game, but also the player choices at any given time. So tell me about that. Like, what are some ways that designers can give players lots of options, but also simplify it so that they don't have analysis paralysis or so they're not overwhelmed, especially at the beginning of a game. You know, they, they kind of feel like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing as opposed to staring at the board going, I have no idea. So what does it look like to also simplify those choices? Um, that's a good question because I think we're running into that problem right now with our design is that by the end of the game, um, it becomes a math game. Like you're trying to math out what your best options are and then, and then player turns end up taking longer because, you know, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, out of these five options, I have to like math out every single option just for, you know, a few points difference. Like it's not. A crazy difference but I want to do the best I want to choose the best option so you spend like 10 minutes trying to figure out what to do and so I think uh Al is right like you you need to reduce the options like um so that you know first of all other players aren't waiting around 
and also like it doesn't make people just not want to play the game because it's too much of a brain burner uh, so I, I think i agree with al that we we also need to do this we need to um give maybe less a few less options um but enough that it, players still make you know really really good choices on their own and it's not like they're forced to do something yeah and it's such a difficult thing to balance right because you want players to feel like they have agency and they can make choices and affect the game and how it plays out. And, you know, when you win, you want to feel like you won, not that the game decided that you won and other people lost. And so I think one uh, one way that, to do this effectively is, is games like Scythe or any game that gives you, like, personal, like, secret objectives where at the beginning of the game you look at it and go, okay, here are a couple ways that I can score extra points that maybe I only have access to or, or whatever. And all of a sudden I've got a little bit of a strategy going in for things that I can do. And that, that gives me a little more simplified choice right there from the beginning. So, okay, I, I can score more points if I do this thing. So let me go ahead and start working on that. That gives me something to kind of get the game going as opposed to going, well, I could do anything. <laughs> so what do I do? I think that's one uh, good way to do it. Yeah, I think our game right now has that problem. Is There's too many options. And in the beginning, new players have no idea what to do. There's too many things to look at. The game is probably a little too complicated for you know someone who's never played before. And I think we need to work on maybe helping players um, find their way, basically. Um, we want to show them, you know, a couple options, but not, you know, tell them how to play the game. Um, but we've found that, yeah, new players, there's just so much going on that they don't, they have no idea what is their, you know, best options, you know, for the first couple of turns. Um, it isn't until maybe a third of the way through that you start seeing they're realizing like, oh, this is what I should do. Um, but at the beginning, they have no idea. And that's something we need to fix. Right. And it so affects the, the player experience when you've really honed in and simplified the way each turn works. I know over the summer uh, I played a game. I don't even remember which game it was, but I remember thinking, wow, I have so many things I can do here. And I don't know which one of those are the best, like which one's going to help me get the most points, which one's going to lead to um, me being able to maybe win versus not. And it was kind of hard to understand, even though the game was not super crunchy, it wasn't super heavy. There were just so many things going on. I wish the designers or developers or publisher, whoever had, had honed in things a little bit or given me some secret objectives or given me some kind of special, you know, uh, asymmetrical power or something like that, just to give me a little bit of direction. Because mm -hmm. what was so interesting is about a week later, uh, friends of mine, we all got together and we played Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. And uh, none of us had ever played before. And so we sat down and we watched the 45 minute how to play video, like so many things going on. And I remember thinking, wow, there is so much to this game. But then we started playing and I realized on a turn, there's actually not that much going on. Like my, my options were very clear. I had this, uh, uh, asymmetrical uh, alien faction that did certain things really, really well, certain things they didn't do very well at all. And that gives me some direction as far as my strategy and what I was going to try to accomplish and the things I was going to try to do politically in the game and the way the game's phases work out. Like there's a lot going on, but it, the way it's structured, it's so simple to play. And mm -hmm. that was so frustrating to find that out. And, and that's something I feel like there's a lot of people that listen to the show that would be like, oh, I'm never going to play that game. It takes forever. It's too complicated, whatever. Give it a shot because honestly, it's a game you need to play just 
to understand how how to design a great game because it, it is a phenomenal game. There's a reason there's a fourth edition. There's a reason it sold so many yeah. copies and why people spend eight hours a day playing it. But it was yeah. actually a lot simpler than I thought it would be. And I think it's like a, a master class for designers to play and understand like how to hone in, how to simplify even a massive game. You can simplify it down so players can can grasp what's going on. Yeah, every we have a few people that we get together with to play Twilight Imperium, and we always have to set a day, like make sure we all have that day free. You know, it, even though we all know the game, it still takes us you know a minimum of you know five six hours. Um, anytime you add someone new who doesn't know the game, it's going to probably add another hour or two. <laughs> but the game itself is simple. Like when when we invite new people, they're always like, oh, I don't you know I don't want to sit there for six hours, but it's still a really good time um, because your brain's not hurting. It's not actually that difficult of a game and, and you just spend time hanging out with your friends and, and betraying each other. <laughs> Definitely. One thing I love about it was I was engaged the whole time. Like I was curious about what people were going to do on their turn because it was going to affect me. And we were just playing a four player game. I can't mm. imagine having more people there, like that's, it makes it even kind of crazier because you're really engaged about, okay, who's doing what and who's going to attack who and, and where yeah. are you going and why, why did you move there? And, you know, and it's such an interesting game that is massive, but at the same time, I really feel like it's been honed in. It's been streamlined to, to be what it is. Yeah. I can't imagine adding more players to Twilight Imperium because <laughs> then it will really take all day. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. So I think a word that goes along with simplification and really honing in a game is the word elegance. And that's a word a lot of reviewers use. A lot of people throw that word around. Oh, this is a very elegant game. What does that mean exactly? And then let's talk about like, how do you make an elegant game? I mean, to me specifically, it it would mean that the game, um, it flows very well. There's never any moment in the game where you feel a jolt like a disconnect from the game or the experience um, something that you can fully engage into um, you're totally in you know the fantasy world and yeah basically just nothing that will will break you out of that that experience yeah I agree I think it's a game that doesn't have a lot of edge cases or maybe any edge cases it doesn't have a lot of moments where you have to look in the rule book and figure out now how do you do this this phase is a little bit different now normally in round one and two it's like this but then round three it changes like there's not any of that all that has been cut away it's been gotten rid of and it's just the like pure essence of what the game is supposed to be and i feel mm -hmm. like it's not an easy task and there's a reason why you know most games don't accomplish this uh, and so what, in your opinion, are, are some ways that a designer can make their game more elegant? What are some things they need to be thinking about so that that word elegance does show up when reviewers look at it? Um, I think one of the main things that we we notice ourselves and that probably everyone runs into is that um, sometimes when you're trying to fix something, um, we kind of just put a Band-Aid on it and it doesn't really fix the game it just kind of replaces it with another problem um and i feel like a lot of designers run into this problem that you're just overlapping one problem to try and fix another one and so those are the kind of things i like to try and get rid of or try to avoid completely um because those are the kind of things that i feel like you know they break you out of your zone or 
or your experience and that breaks the you know elegance of of the game when you have to uh, when something just doesn't mesh in well with everything else and it it looks like the the designer tried to fix something that they they couldn't figure out basically <laughs> Right. I ran into this situation actually a couple of days ago. I, I've been designing a little car racing game, kind of like a Mario Kart game for my kids. And I was explaining the new version, the new prototype to my wife the other night. I was cutting out cars and just kind of sharing it with her. And so she's asking me questions about well, what happens when you do this, what happens when you do that. And I realized there was one section where it was like, okay, when this happens, you do this, the, the cards play out this way. And she said, well, what about if it happens like that? It's like, oh, well, I guess in that case, the cards would play out this other way. And she said, well, why is it different? I was like, well, that's, that's a great question. Why is it different? And what can I do to make the game so it's not different? So there aren't multiple options. There's just one way to do it, right? So whether it's option A or, you know, whether it's uh, situation A or situation B, here's the way the game plays out. Here's the way the cards get laid down, whatever it is. I think that's, that's really what elegance is all about. It's like, okay, how do I get rid of these other things going on and just make it as sanded down as it possibly can be, even if it's a, a massive game, like you can have a really complex, super complicated game and it still feel elegant because you don't have to get back in the rule book and go, okay, well, this is scenario A and scenario A, we have to do it. No, get rid of all that stuff. Like, what does it look like for your game just to play, you know, the way it feels, feels like it should. And maybe that's kind of too, too emotional or too gut feeling, but like elegance is all about the game feels like it should. The game plays out the way you feel like it should. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, definitely, I don't know. We it's hard to say because we haven't designed any game that's that's on a on a crazy high difficulty strategic level yet. Like um, blanking out on any like really heavy games, um, but we because we haven't gone that you know heavy yet. I can't picture like not being able to figure out what the the best strategy is as far as like heavy games you know like something like lisboa or yeah like like something that's that's just huge and you know it takes you know an hour just to set up the game <laughs> that kind of heavy like we haven't designed anything like that yet and and i can't even imagine trying to make a game that heavy elegant like i haven't experienced that design process yet so <laughs> Yeah, all our games are very, very light-ish, um, not too heavy, and, and so it's not too difficult to, to figure out and, and try and, and trim it down. But a game like, like you said, Lisboa, or anything heavier, is like, I can't even imagine trying to make everything mesh well together without anything being too jerky during gameplay or anything like that. Right. I feel like Jamie Stegmaier has a really interesting way to handle that because his games are a little, little heavier. They're not like crazy. You know, it's not like Lisboa or you know, mm-hmm. some of the Stefan Feld, like really heavy, heavy. I would love to have Stefan Feld on the show at some point. I don't know if he speaks English, but if he does, <laughs> and somebody knows him, please send me an email and introduce me because I'd love to have him on the show. Um, but someone like that to kind of explain, how in the world do you wrap your mind around massive games? I think Vital Lacerda is his name. He's another mm-hmm. one. He's the guy that designed Lisboa. Uh, how in the world is like, tell me how your brain works. Like you have so many things going on. How do you keep all these things straight and like figuring out different strategies and, and different point systems and point structures. And you got all these different things happening in this massive board, all this stuff. You know, I think going back to Jamie Stegmar, I think he does it really well in that he doesn't uh, publish games that have rounds. Like there's no like round structure necessarily. It's just like, 
turn A all the way to turn Z and then the game, you know, whenever it ends, it ends. I think that's an interesting way to do it so you don't have that kind of jerky feeling of phase one to phase two. Uh, I think that that can help a lot. But yeah, it is a really interesting thing to think through. How do you have a massive two and a half hour game that also feels like it should, that doesn't have any excess baggage, Mm -hmm. like you said. Now, one thing I, I hear people talk about all the time is the difference in creativity, especially in designing games. And that's, are you a painter or are you a sculptor? You know, painter being, do you start with a blank canvas and then you start adding layers of paint or layers of design and eventually you get your game? Or are you a sculptor and you just start with this massive block of, of game idea, game concept, game design, and then you just kind of sculpt it down to you know what it's going to be? So which one would you say you are, Stephanie? Are you a painter or a sculptor? And then let's go a little deeper into it. I think I'm definitely a sculptor. <laughs> um, the way I design games uh, is always like theme first. So I already have like a picture in my head of how, you know, things might work and whatnot. So it's it's never like I start with a blank, a blank sheet or anything like that. Um, so yeah, definitely a sculptor. Very cool. And so tell me a little more about your process of, of really just figuring out does this belong? Does this need to go away? You know, you've got this massive thing. Like I can imagine if, if I had designed ducks in tow, I think I would have started out personally. It'd been like animals in tow and there's squirrels and there's chipmunks and there's different kinds of birds and there's pigeons, you know, pigeons and ducks and everything. And eventually maybe I would get it all the way down to ducks only and get rid of everything else. So tell me kind of your process of going, okay, no, that's, that's cool. I like the idea, but it just doesn't fit. I need to get rid of it. Tell me about your personal process. Um, like I said, I, I always design theme first and, and theme is very important to me. Um, so I, I usually already have an idea in mind um, of how things should work. It's just trying to find the right mechanisms to blend well with what I have in my head already. Um, for example, uh, like ducks and toe, like the reason I pick ducks is because I like ducks. I collect ducks, everything ducks. <laughs> So that was a very easy theme for me to choose. Um, and then I, I kind of narrowed it down to, you know, a specific experience that I had walking, you know, in a, in a bird sanctuary feeding ducks. Um, and so that was very, very theme heavy um, and, and very specific of the things I want people to feel like they're doing in the game. So when we finally figured out that, you know, I want, the duck meeples to look like they're following the the player meeple like that that was that was the best part is because I want people to feel like they're in a park and there's ducks following them around when they feed them gotcha I know I ran into this situation years ago a few years ago it's one of the first games I ever really like poured my heart and soul into and I really felt good about it and early on so it, was, it was a football game and uh, you were basically the owner. And so you had all these choices to make about which players you're going to put on your team. And you'd go out and use those players to play games. And you're trying to win as many games as possible and win championships. But then you also had to think about licensing deals or sponsorships. You had to think about your stadium and trying to improve it with different upgrades, you know, a jumbotron, adding extra sections, extra seats, stuff like that. And so the game had all these different phases. And there was even like a community phase. Like you had to reach out to the community and do like a, a turkey dinner for the community around Thanksgiving. And you had to do all this like community service stuff. And you had a, you had like a morale, like a, a goodwill track, basically, where you wanted the city that your team was in to feel good about, to feel proud of you as a team. And like all these ideas that are real in, in normal life in the NFL, you know, you're constantly thinking about all those different things. But what I found is that in the actual game, 
it was just kind of like, yeah, this is fine. This is okay. But the fun part is rolling all these dice with these players that I've built up and then playing these games and trying to win championships. That's the fun part. The mm-hmm. stadium upgrades and the, the community service stuff, that's, that's cool. It's part of the, you know, it's thematic, I guess. But that's what I kept getting back from playtesters and, and different people, people that would look at the game. And so I was like, all right, I just, I guess I got to cut it out. And so I literally cut about 40% of this game out. Just totally, all right, let's get rid of that. And the game got so much better because of it, because now we're focusing on the main thing that's the most fun. And yeah, as an owner of a team, you do have to think about licensing deals and sponsorships and taxes and community service and all that stuff. But that's, that's really not the fun part about being an owner. The fun part about being an owner is being there in the uh, the press box on Super Bowl Sunday and watching your team win the, the championship. That's the fun part. You know, building that team with the general manager and stuff like that. So I think that's another thing is to thinking is, is thinking through, okay, yeah, this is thematic. Yeah, this makes sense. But it's just not as much fun as these other aspects, these other parts over here. So let's cut it. Uh, and so has there any, ever been a game design you've worked on, either published or not, that you had to cut something you just loved? A mechanism, part of the theme, something like that. You're like, I love this aspect and I have to kill it. You ever had to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's exactly what happened with Ducks and Toe, actually. Um, because uh, when we still had the dexterity part of the game, um, that was the most fun for for all the players. Anyone that tried it, you know, that was the best part. That was the most thematic part at the time because, you know, you were throwing food <laughs> to feed the ducks. And so it made sense um, thematically and it was the most fun. And so we tried to keep that for so long and it just wouldn't work. Nothing, even though the throwing part is fun, none of the other mechanics would work with that specific dexterity part of the game. So eventually we had to make the tough decision to to completely cut out the dexterity part. And, and so that's when we, you know, basically overhauled the whole design to what it is now. <laughs> Yeah, and it's tough. You know, people say, kill your darlings. That's much easier said than done. You know, I've talked to so many designers that, kind of like you you were talking about earlier, like I have a mechanism or a theme in the back of their mind. They're like, I want to design a game based on this, but they, they just can't make it work. They keep having to kill it, keep having to cut it out of the game. I, you know, Gil Hova, he came on the show a while back, and he talked about how three or four game designs that turned into published games. He started off with one very specific mechanism that he really wants to design a game around. And in all of those games, he got to a certain point and was like, I need to cut that mechanism. It's just not working. I need to do something different. And these are games that are coming out. They're, you know, going to Kickstarter, doing really well, being published. And, and he's still trying to design that one darling mechanism. And it's just, uh, just hasn't worked yet. And so if you're listening to this, you're not alone. Trust me, there are a lot of us out here that have had to kill so many things that we absolutely adored. We loved it. And it uh, had to die because it just wasn't uh, as simple or as streamlined as, as it needed to be. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about Town Builder Kuferden. That's a game you didn't design, but you published. Tell me about it. When when you look at it, I mean, it's it's a really excellent game, in my opinion. It, it seems to be very streamlined. It seems to be very honed in already. So as the publisher, tell me about that game. Tell me about what you like about it, what drew you to it, to sign it. Uh, tell me about the things that, the simplified parts of it that make that a good game. Town Builder is a very good uh example of uh, a clean design I think um, the designer spent uh, almost four or five years um, developing it um, his main goal was to design a game um, simple enough that his parents could play it but with enough depth that you know a heavy gamer will still very much enjoy it 
And I feel like it totally does that. Um, it's, I feel like it's the perfect gateway game um, to show players, you know, multi-use cards and whatnot. And, but, you know, even it has enough depth that even like, you know, people who play Magic, they, they can find so much strategy in, in the card combinations and, and everything like that. So I like that it's easy enough for, you know, non-gamers to learn, but also, you know, strategic enough that heavy gamers can still enjoy it quite a lot. Yeah, and I completely agree. Just the way the cards work and the way you, you flip them over and you put them underneath each other and then the, the way the timer system basically works where you're waiting on different things to happen, such a well design game now as a publisher you know i'm sure people reach out to you and say hey i got this game and, and would you take a look at it they, they pitch you to publish their game and things like that as a publisher what would you what advice would you give somebody listening to this as far as how honed in how you know elegant maybe is not the best word but just kind of ready to go like what are you looking for as a publisher when somebody pitches you a game and, and as far as like simplification i think um it's it's very different for myself as a publisher versus uh you know a bigger company like Asmodee um because my company is just three people um we don't have the uh, resources and in manpower to you know help develop a game even further than than how it's pitched to me um so I find if I'm getting pitches that you know they look interesting but how much time and effort am I going to have to put in to, you know, adjust it or, or, you know, develop it more. Um, I find for ourselves specifically uh, as a small company, we just don't have the time um, to further develop a game right now, um, especially because it's not our full-time job. Um, all three of us have full-time jobs, so it's definitely still a side gig for us. So we can't commit to further developing games that are pitched to us. Right. It's something so many smaller publishers or even medium sized, even big publishers, honestly, have to think about is the opportunity cost. You know, this game is, is cool. I like it. The theme's there. I think we can make it into a product, but it's going to take six months of development and turning it into the best version of itself. And so maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we don't have six months. Maybe we've only got a couple months or whatever it is. I think it's something to think about as designers that you want to have your game as simplified, as honed in, as as ready to go as possible because of the opportunity cost that a publisher just might not have to put into developing a game or you know fixing it, so to speak. And not that your game is broken, but just them kind of putting the, the finishing touches on it. I feel like the game should be at least 90% you know, good to go and that last 10% sometimes takes forever. But uh, as close to publish ready as possible, if you're really wanting to get the game published, especially with a publisher that's that's not this massive corporation. I feel like with Asmodee, you basically say, hey, I got this this thing, and you give it to them, and then they disappear, and you know, a year later it comes out and it's a game, versus working with maybe a medium or a smaller publisher, where you get to be more part of that development process. But it's just something to keep in mind and be aware of as a designer, who you're pitching to and what do they have time for? Because especially right now, with the world kind of the state that it's in, a lot of games have been backed up right? A lot of the timelines have been kind of messed up and you have these big bottlenecks for game companies. And so it's just something to, something to think about. Now, another thing I want to ask you about is when it comes to player count, right? We talked about Twilight Imperium earlier, uh, you know, that you can add multiple players and even an expansion that goes up to like six or eight players, so many people around the table. What are you thinking about as far as simplification 
especially when you're starting to get at the higher player counts when when the game can really extend. It can start taking a lot longer to play just because, you know, each each turn, each round can now take a lot longer. What are you thinking as far as simplification when you do get to those bigger player counts? How do you still keep the game honed in? That's a, actually a funny question because personally, we always try to design games that can accommodate five or six players um, because we, you know, when you look at your shelf, um, a lot of games nowadays are, you know, two to four. <laughs> um, so anytime we have five people, we we struggle to find something to play. Um, so all our designs always start with the idea that uh, we would try to accommodate more players. But in order to make games, you know, not so long or not too boring, uh, less player downtime, we always end up reducing it down to two to four players. <laughs> Yeah, so how do you know when to do that? How do you know when five players is just too much? It's just too many, too many choices maybe, or it's too much going on, it, it takes too long. How do you know that? I think it comes down to player downtime. So if 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 at five at a five player count, if I have to wait 10, 15 minutes before it's my turn again and, and there's no interactions in the game that keep me engaged, then that's too much. Um, then, then I would reduce the player count. But if there, if a game has uh, interactions between players, then you never feel like you're you're bored. Um, as you said, like Twilight Imperium, you're always paying attention to what other people are doing when, even when it's not your turn. But if a game is is very focused on you and and your play area, and you don't really have to pay attention to what other people are doing, but then it takes you know, 10, 15 minutes for it to be your turn again, then it gets too boring. And then that's the, that's the thing we're trying to reduce is the player downtime or increase player interaction. Yeah, I think that's so important to realize. You know, I've played some games that are good games, but when it's not my turn, I can basically get up, go to the kitchen, make myself a sandwich, get something to drink, call some friends, hang out. Oh, now it's my turn again. And it's like, well, that's just not as much fun. Personally, and maybe this is just a personal opinion, you know, other people might enjoy being able to do that. But I, I find that that's just not as much fun as games where I'm actively engaged. It's going to be my turn real soon. I love the games where I play my cards or I play my turn and then I look up one good time and say, oh, it's my turn again. You know, and I think one way to, to handle that, something I've seen that works really well, there are a lot of games out there where you have, you know, you can do five actions on your turn. And well, that, that might take a while. And so what does it look like to limit players? You can only do two things on your turn. Right. Or one thing, even you know, I can play a card. I can do I can draw a card. I can do one action over here on the, the board, whatever it is. And it just keeps the game flowing so quickly. And now maybe that doesn't give the experience that you want. Maybe you want players to be able to have these big, massive, epic combination turns where they do all these different things. And that's fine. But it's just something to at least think about when you're designing your game. How, how do you or how can you uh, get rid of any downtime at all? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance of player downtime or player interaction <laughs> right i also think uh, another thing for people to be just kind of be be wondering about be thinking about always is what does it look like to just remove something from the game entirely right remove an entire phase remove an entire action remove an entire stage of the game whatever it is just cut it and just play test it and see what happens because you might get rid of that part of the game and go oh well that, that didn't actually affect the game at all like we didn't even miss it or it sped the game up or it made the game actually more fun or it broke the game that's also possible too but just get rid of stuff 
and just see what happens. I think that's the difference between playing a game and playtesting a game. You know, if you're playtesting, then really think through, all right, what, what am I trying to test here? What, what's my hypothesis? All right, in, in this test, I'm going to totally get rid of the last section of the game. We're just going to get rid of that. We're going to move the scoring up five rounds, and we're going to see what happens. And then play it. And then maybe it's terrible, or maybe it's better, or maybe it's just okay, whatever. But at least now you have some some data you can go off of to go, okay, how can we simplify the game a little bit more? How can we get rid of some different things? And so, yeah, that's definitely my advice. Steph, you got any, any other best practices, any other tips and tricks as far as honing a game design in or simplifying? I think designers should think about what you want your players to feel. Specifically, because when, for me, I design theme first, um, I always have an idea of how I want the players to feel when they're playing the game. Um, you know, whether it be happy or brain burny or whatever, at least you have something to go off of um, and you know what kind of reactions you're looking for from your players uh, when, when you are playtesting. So finding, finding that and finding what um, you expect to see from your players when they're playtesting your game, um, you should have an idea of that. Um, before you go in yeah for sure now how do you measure that like when you're watching people at the table what do you what are you looking for make sure they're not bored <laughs> um i mean the the we're, we're making games right so the main thing you want to look for is are people having fun that's that's the most important part of of game design is like are people having fun if they're not having fun why aren't they having fun um what parts aren't fun if, if they are having fun, what parts are fun? And then you take out the parts that are not fun, <laughs> right? So it, it all comes down to to enjoying the experience. So if, if your players are not enjoying the experience or if they look bored, um, then something needs to change. Yeah, for sure. Find the fun and then just keep going to that well over and over and over again. Well, Stephanie, this has been excellent. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything, you know, someone's listening to this, they're thinking through, okay, I'm a sculptor, or even as a painter, whatever. I've got this massive thing. I'm trying to hone in. I'm trying to make it smaller, more simplified. Any closing thoughts, any encouragement to people listening? Um, I think if you're designing a game with a theme in mind, then really try and make that theme a really, really big part of it. Like something that is so meshed into the game that if you did sign it, the publisher is liking it with the theme. It's not like they're going to just slap another theme on. Um, that would mean that the game wasn't engaging enough for them to keep the theme that you you threw on. Um, then it just looks like you threw on any theme that you could think of, and then they could just replace it. Whereas if you build a theme up and it's really engaging, it's super interesting, then when a publisher wants to keep your theme, you know, that's, that's a good feeling, I think, because you've poured your time and effort into making it very thematic. And I mean, for me personally, theme is everything. So I don't know about other publishers, but um, for me specifically, I, I'm very theme heavy. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the designing and publishing more games. Good luck with Ducks in Tow, which hopefully is coming out here pretty soon and everything else you got going on right now well yeah thanks a lot uh, it was uh, really fun to chat about games again it's been kind of boring quarantined at home you know <laughs> no doubt thanks for listening 
Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?